Well, I'm sure some of you remember that very popular commercial from the uh, from the 80s. And that line, where's the beef? You know, that that line kind of got a life of its own outside of the commercial and kind of became a cultural phenom there for a little bit. People using that statement, usually referring the idea of where's the substance? Well, where's the real thing? Where's what we're here for? Where's what we are looking for? You know, I think that commercial took off like it did. One, because I, I think that old lady's pretty funny, don't y'all? But you know what? I think it kind of hit a nerve. Because I think the culture back then, and I, and I think it's probably even more so now, the culture, you know, we have a tendency to put a lot of glitz and glamour when there's no real substance. We, we tend to have a whole lot in the storefront and not much in the stock room. We like to give the appearance of depth when things are actually very shallow. And you know what's true in our culture, unfortunately, can kind of sometimes get going in our lives too, can it? And get into some of our relationships so that there's a real shallowness. Man, where's the real thing? Where's what we're really looking for? Now, I've got a rough transition here because what I don't want you to do is to try to picture God like that old lady in the commercial. But what I do want you to do is try to imagine standing before God and he says to you, hey, where's the beef? And you know what? You and I need to do more than imagine that. We need to prepare for it because God does ask that question in each of our lives. Now, he's not actually looking for beef. The, 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 the food that he's looking for, he says it this way. Where's the fruit? Let's see where this happens. Would you look with me this morning in John chapter 15? John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some there in the chairs in front of you. If there's not one right in front of you, hopefully a couple of chairs down, you can grab it or have somebody hand it to you if you just point to, you, point to it. We want everybody to be able to look at God's Word as we study and read it together. John chapter 15. We've been in this book now for several months. We've studied seven signs uh, so far in this book that Jesus performed. Today we're looking at our seventh I am statement. Seventh of seven I am statements that Jesus makes. These signs and statements reveal who Jesus is, point to who Jesus is, and what He is for us. And today is such an exciting one, folks, because you and I are one day going to stand before God. And you know, for most of humanity, that's kind of a, th a frightening thought. But what Jesus comes to us to say is, you know what I have for you today? I have for you the opportunity to stand before God and celebrate your life. That you've lived a life that counts, that adds up to something. And Jesus is the way that we get that life. Let's see how he presents that to us. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine. My father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Jesus in this illustration seems today to present to us two lives. 
One life is one who gets connected to Christ and remains in Christ. And the result of that is a lot of fruit. Notice it says much fruit. Notice it says more fruit. The other life is somebody who got connected to Christ but didn't remain in him. And the evidence of that is they're fruitless. And you see the result, they're cut off. They're, they're cast off. They're burned. Which one represents you? Boy, I don't know about you. I read this passage and I think of that thought. And I'm looking for door number three. Is there, is there a third option here, Lord? Tell me there's a third option. Well, if there is, he doesn't present it, does he? Let's try to understand what Jesus is talking about here a little bit more. Now, obviously, all through this, we're talking a whole lot about the vine. So let's kind of go ahead and get that physical image in front of us. Jesus is pointing to something. Jesus has got something in mind that his audience would have understood, would have looked at. So we want to do the same. You see the kind of the, the wooden part coming up from the bottom. That's the vine. That's what supports. That's what gives life and nutrients. Obviously, folks, if the vine's not there, there's no life. You know what? That's true in your life and mine, too. If the vine's not there, there is no life. There's no nutrients. There's no support. You've got the branches and the leaves. And of course, you see all of those grapes. Now, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's why that vine is there because of those grapes. It's all about the fruit. I'm going to keep saying that all through this sermon. You know, a vineyard is a, is a beautiful place. I did a wedding once in California uh, at a vineyard. It was beautiful. But you know what? There's not a vineyard keeper in the world or in history that has ever planted a vineyard for landscaping. It's not there for the scenery. It's there for those grapes. It's about the grapes. Now, Jesus says, I am the true vine, the true vine. He distinguishes himself not as just the vine. I am the true vine. If you're connected to me, then the result will be true life. The result will be true fruit, true product. You know, another word for fruit is just the produce. What is the produce? What is the product of your living on this planet? If I'm connected to the true vine, then there can be a true product. Now, if I'm not connected to the true vine, what am I connected to? Well, I can be connected to a false vine or maybe just not connected to anything. Now, folks, we do connect to things. Matter of fact, you and I are running around in the world almost every day looking for things to connect to. If I connect to this job, if I connect to this accomplishment, if I connect to this person, if I can be connected to this, man, my life will count. My, my life will mean something. I'll, I'll have worth. And that's our tendency. And we run around looking to connect our things that we believe will do this for us. And Jesus is telling us, listen, I'm the true vine. Anything else you connect to is not going to produce that life and it's not going to produce that product, which means think of the ramifications of that, folks. Every moment of my life that I am connected to something else or I'm trying to get connected to something else, that moment means nothing. That moment counts for nothing. It is utterly a waste. And I don't know about y'all, but the problem in my life is not a moment. A whole lot more than a moment that I've gone and tried to connect to something else to find value and worth. And Jesus is saying it's a waste. It will add up to nothing. So as a favor, he's telling us, man, I'm the vine. Get connected to me. Now, the question is, do I trust him? I don't know, Lord. A lot of those people over there, they look really happy with, you know, connecting to money. Those people over there, they look really happy connecting with that achievement or or people always connect to that person. Look, I'm going to go try these other things. It's a waste. 
I don't have to take his word out for that. I can go out there and I can waste my life. Or in some of these things that we're wasting our life, we're actually doing damage to our lives. Or I can take his word. I am the true vine. Now, we've got a couple characters here in our story. We got one, the true vine, that's Jesus. Then you've got the, the branches and the leaves there. You see those kind of at the top of the picture. Those branches, that's you. When Jesus is talking about this, maybe he's looking at a vine or a vineyard and people see those branches. He's saying, now, folks, you see those branches there? That's you. You're the branch, the church. You and I are the branches. There's one other character in the story, and that's the vineyard keeper. And that's God the Father. Jesus is the true vine, and then immediately we're introduced to the vineyard keeper, God. You notice that there are two distinct beings. There's the true vine, Jesus. There's the vine keeper, God, two distinct. And yet the New Testament never teaches that there's two gods. There's one God in two. And of course, we add to that the person of the Holy Spirit. And we have the mystery of the Trinity. John talks a lot about the Father and the Son. Talks a lot about their work. And you know what? All through that gospel, you never see Jesus and, and the Father going in two different directions. You never see him doing two different things. They're always working together. So the, the subject for the moment is our lives and what's being produced. And Jesus says, listen, I'm the true vine. I'm where you get life. And as soon as you get connected to me, my father is going to move into your life to secure a life that counts, to secure a life that produces that fruit. Listen, folks, and I'm going to keep saying it's about the grapes. Fruit is not desirable. I said not. Fruit is not desirable. It's mandatory. Okay, it's not a neat thing to God if he looks down here in the vineyard and says, oh, look, there's a grape over there. Oh, look, there's two or three more over there. A couple of grapes somewhere is not what God's looking for. It's mandatory. It's imperative in our lives that through our connection to Christ, we are producing fruit and God moves in our lives to make that happen. You know, it's interesting and I don't know anything about a vineyard, so I don't want to sound like I do. But my understanding is that when you get a grapevine, if you just let it grow wild, just let it grow on its own, it won't produce a lot of grapes. You know what it'll produce? A lot of branches. And so the gardener, the vineyard keeper, moves in to, to cut and to trim and to prune so that it's getting a greater yield. It's getting the fruit. And so God moves into our lives because guess what, folks? The, nat the Christian life, it doesn't grow naturally. It doesn't just happen. And I think, man, I think too many of us, sometimes we get the idea that, you know what, I, I prayed to receive Christ back here, and now, now I'm living. I woke up this morning, and I'm, I'm living this day. You know what, just living doesn't make you grow in your Christian life. Just showing up and sitting in a building once a week does not produce something in your Christian life. Growth has to be purposed. And that's what God moves into our lives to do. How does he do that? Well, in this illustration, it's by trimming and, and pruning. You say, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it starts with cleansing. He cleanses us. He forgives us of sin. There's no greater hindrance, no greater hindrance to fruit in your life. There's no greater hindrance to living a life that counts than sin. Doesn't even matter which one it is. You know, you and I, we got our different categories of sin, big sins and little sins. God doesn't have any of those categories. Any sin, every sin is a great hindrance to your life 
accounting for something, meaning something. So God's first work is to cleanse us and to forgive us of that. Then he moves into our life to discipline us. And discipline can take on a, a variety of forms. He can allow suffering into our lives. He'll use the suffering that this world produces, that this world brings. Now, we don't like suffering. We don't sign up for that. Hey, Lord, I think I'm behind on some suffering. Aren't I due for that? Now, we're not looking for that. But, folks, you know what? If we'll trust God with it, suffering sometimes is the greatest tool that brings about intimacy with Christ. Sometimes it's the greatest tool that, that reveals how good and faithful he is and grows our character in God. He chastises us when we do wrong. He tests our faith. God will move and work to produce the character of God in our lives and to produce the work of God in our lives. And when God is moving and working, when he's when we're connected to the vine and Jesus is doing this pruning, it will produce fruit always, not a little bit much and more. Now, we've been talking about fruit a lot this morning. Is God looking to see grapes growing off of us? Thank you very much. One person got it. No, God's not looking for grapes hanging off of us. Well, then what is he talking about? What is this fruit? You know, John 15 doesn't tell us. He just kind of leaves it in an allegory, in an illustration. He doesn't really say what the fruit is. But you know what? As we go throughout the New Testament, that fruit is defined. In Matthew chapter 3, the fruit of being connected to Christ and remaining in Christ is a changed life. It's talking about the, the fruit of repentance. In Matthew chapter 7, it's the fruit of good works. It's the fruit of a good life. In Romans chapter 1, the fruit of being connected, the fruit of remaining, is people come to Christ. Through my witness, by my witness, God will produce believers. That is a fruit. In Romans chapter 6, the fruit is a, a word we call sanctification. Another word for holy living. Holy living is a fruit of being. It's a product of being connected to Christ and remaining in Him. And then Galatians 5, a lot of us know that one, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Now, folks, look at that list for a moment. What Jesus is saying is, if I'm connected to him, if I'm remaining in him, that will be, not should be, not ought to be, not for a lot of us will be in every believer's life, that will be produced. It gets a little bit harder, folks. Again, I remind you of those words in verse 2 and 5. Much and more. In other words, folks, as I look at that list, what Jesus is saying is I'm following Christ, I'm connected to Him, I'm remaining in Him. I should see good works, I should see people being saved, I should see joy and, and patience, and I should see more of that in my life this year than I did last year. And I should really see more of that stuff in my life this year than I did five years ago. Folks, we need to look into our lives and say, is this happening? Is this the product? Is this what is being produced in my life? If I'm connected to Christ, if I'm remaining to him, that will be produced and much of it. If it's not being produced, we've got a problem. Got a serious problem. Let's go back to our vineyard here. If I'm a vineyard keeper and I'm walking up and down the row and I keep coming to this one plant that's not producing anything, it's not, I mean, I might fertilize, I might prune a little bit more, but if I keep coming back and keep coming back and nothing is being produced, what am I going to do? I'm going to rip it up. 
I'm going to cut it out. I'm going to throw it away. I'm not there for scenery. It's there for fruit. You know what's interesting? This passage is one of just a handful. Just a handful of passages that might lead somebody to believe they can lose their salvation. Matter of fact, there are a number of denominations that teach that a person can be genuinely saved, can become a child of God, and then lose that status. They would go to this passage as a key text to prove that. I mean, look what you've got here. You've got somebody clearly connected to Christ. They're connected to the true vine, and then they are cut off. They're removed because of the fruitlessness, and then burned. Gosh, I mean, when we think of the word burn, when we think of fire in the Bible, what are we thinking of usually? Hell. This, this sounds like somebody losing their salvation. Is that what's happening here? Absolutely not. I'll come back and explain that in a moment. There's also something else that's not happening in this passage. This passage is not to scare us or make us afraid about what God is looking for. You okay? I, this passage is not, you know, I'm carrying this bushel of fruit to go to meet God and I'm hoping it makes him happy. I'm hoping I've got enough fruit. Maybe this is enough to pay him back for what he's done. Or, or maybe I bring my bushel of fruit. Man, I got a couple of apples and bananas and grapes here. And I, you know, I'm standing here waiting in line to go in and meet with God and show him the fruit of my life. And this guy comes up and stands behind me and he's got a wheelbarrow full of fruit. I'm thinking, oh man, here, you can go first. You know, I want to get a little bit disconnected. I don't want God comparing me to that person. Is, is that what's happening here? Absolutely not. You know, it's interesting when you read this passage. I don't know if you noticed it when I read it out loud. Verse three doesn't fit. You, you have you, it, it, I mean, it kind of just slams on the brakes, says something and then goes back to the story. You could read verse one, two, four, five and six, and it would make perfect sense. Verse three kind of stands there by itself. Now, let me tell you what I think is happening here. Jesus is talking about this fruit and he knows our human nature, our competitive spirit our tendency to think we're going to earn something, we're going to pay something back, we're going to, we're going to deserve this, I'm going to bring all this fruit, and God's going to, he's going to be really proud, or he's going to, he's going to owe me. And, and so Jesus says, you know what, time out. I, I know how you guys think. You know, before I go any further, I want you to know something. You're not clean by this fruit you're bringing. You're clean by me. Okay, there's not a certain amount of fruit that you're going to bring to God or a certain type of fruit that you're going to bring to God and then God will be pleased with you. Then God will owe you something. Then you'll have paid God back. That's not what's happening here. This is not an issue of me looking around at other believers and hoping my fruit's as good or better than those that I'm in line with. I am clean by Jesus and my faith in his word, the word of the gospel. I am clean by Jesus and not the fruit. So in verse 3, I just kind of see Jesus putting on the brakes to the story and saying, let's clear this up right now. Because we're talking a lot about when you go to stand before God. And I want you to know, I've provided you the opportunity to stand before God. I've provided you the opportunity for that to be a good experience. This fruit is something, though, that needs to be produced. So it's not there to scare us. It's there to say, this is evidence of your connection to me, evidence of your remaining in me. Now you say, okay, I kind of see that, but, but what about people losing their salvation? I mean, this person's connected, they're cut off and removed. Folks, a great way to understand Scripture is always use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Always use Scripture to explain Scripture. And I want to do that with this passage right here. We're in John. Would you head to 1 Corinthians? Go to the right. You'll go through Acts, Romans. You'll land in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. It says there, according to God's grace that was given to me as a skilled master builder, I've laid a foundation and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it because no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid. That is Jesus Christ. Now, in John 15, the illustration is of a vine. If you don't have a vine, you don't have life. You don't count. You're not on the radar. Your life doesn't even exist. You have to have the vine to have life. When you're building a building, you can't build a building without the foundation. You can't start. You can't do nothing. There's got to be a foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3, the building, the starting point is the foundation. It's Jesus. In John 15, the starting point is the vine. That's Jesus. So nothing counts until you have Jesus. Nothing counts until you're connected to him, until you're building upon him. Now we'll read the rest of this and realize building is somewhat synonymous with fruit. Fruit is the product of the vine. A building is the product of the of the work that goes on to the foundation. Let's look at verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through the fire. Now let me try to connect these two passages. In, in John 15, we are told, if we are connected, if we are remaining in Christ, folks, we will produce fruit. There's no possibility of saying, I'm a believer, I'm close to Christ, I'm following Christ, and not see evidence of that list in your life. You can't do that. If you're connected, if you're remaining, there's fruit. If there's no fruit, there's a problem. Only one of two things can explain why there's no fruit. One, you're not connected to Christ. You know, it is absolutely possible to call yourself a Christian. It's absolutely possible to drive to a building once a week, sit in a church, and not be a follower of Jesus Christ, not be a genuine believer. You say, oh my gosh, how do I know if that's me? Look at the list. If there's no evidence, you need to begin questioning, am I genuinely connected to the vine? Now, another option is, now first, that person hasn't lost their salvation. They were never saved to begin with. Now, another option is that somebody gets connected, but they don't remain. Jesus talks about two things in this passage, getting connected and then remaining in him. It is possible to get connected. And can you believe this? To get connected to Christ and have that utterly mean nothing in your life. It produces nothing. Now, let me show you what happens in 1 Corinthians 3. This passage is talking about when you and I go and stand before God. Everybody here is going to heaven in 1 Corinthians 3. This is not a judgment between who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Only believers are at this judgment. And as they go to this judgment, as you and I go and stand before God, he takes our life and he places it into the fire, not the fires of hell. It's a refining fire. It's a purifying fire. And our life goes in there. And when that when our life is in there, it burns off the, you know, the stuff that didn't count, the stuff that's not so good. Did you know it'll burn off good stuff that was done with wrong motives? That happens every now and then, doesn't it? Sometimes we come to church, we do good and wonderful things for absolutely the wrong reasons. To draw attention to ourselves, to get applause, to use it to say, I must be a good person because everybody at church thinks so. 
That's not doing it to the glory of God. That's not doing it for the advancement. That will burn off. So my life's in there. It's being purified. God pulls it out. And what's left, that's the pure part. That's the basis, verse 14. That's the basis of my reward. Now, verse 15 shows us a person whose life goes into that fire. It burns. Ding. God pulls it out. Nothing left. What, what, there's got to be something in there. Could, could you turn the flames down? <laughs> pulls it out. There's nothing left. My whole life burned up. First Corinthians 3 is clearly presenting a life of somebody who's a believer. It says there they're saved. But everything burned. Just like in John 15, they got connected, but they never produced any fruit. That that branch was pulled off. It was burned. Nothing was left to give the basis of a reward. Now, you know what? I know how human nature is. and I know how we tend to think we could hear that and go, now, wait a minute. Are, are you are you saying that I can get connected to Christ? Doesn't matter how I live and I'm still in heaven. I'm still good to go. <sighs> yeah, possibly. His grace is just incredible, isn't it? Clearly, this person in 1 Corinthians 3.15 did nothing with the foundation of Jesus Christ. They built nothing on it. Now, you know, folks, it's good enough to just be in heaven. But don't we all know? I don't want to stand there next to God. I don't want to stand there side by side with Jesus. And look at that point. In 1982, where my life got connected to Jesus and then see from that point on, I did nothing with it. Everything he gave me, everything he provided, I did nothing with it. I wasted every moment of my life after getting connected to him. Is that what we want to happen when we're standing there with the Lord? No, of course not. And you know what, folks? God doesn't want it to happen either. This is not a passage of, of fear and judgment and scare you to death about whether you have enough when you go to meet God. God is saying, listen, man, when you come to meet me, I want it to be exciting and I want there to be reward. So here's what I've done, because you'll never get there on your own. So I've sent my son. You get your life connected to his life. Now you've got a life that counts. Now we're talking about eternity. Then you remain in my son. I'll come and work in your life. And your life will count for eternity. You'll begin to produce things that will count forever. And will be a basis of a great reward in your life. Man, Jesus comes and provides the life. The father comes in and does the work. That's a pretty good deal. Do I have any responsibility in this? Yeah, Jesus says one thing. Remain. Remain in me. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like to remain? Well, let's let's not make it a big fancy word. What does it mean to remain? What, what does it look like when you remain in the house? What, what does it look like you when you remain in a relationship? What does it look like when you remain at the job? You're there. You're connected. You're involved. There's closeness. There's likeness. You're a part. Am I close to Christ? Am I remaining in him? I've got a couple of questions I want us to ask ourselves and to think about how I look at whether I'm close to him or not. I mean, folks, if we, I'm trying to evaluate and trying to discern, is this fruit happening in my life? If it's not, why? Here's some questions we can ask about remaining. Can I call myself close if I don't spend time with him regularly in, his, in prayer and in his word? How do, you find, how do you define yourself as close to somebody if you spend no time with them? 
if you don't know their heart, if you don't know their mind, if you don't know what they're thinking? Can I, can I really say I'm close to that person? Well, no, and we can't do it with Christ either. And here's where I see his mind. Here's where I hear his heart. Here's where I know what he is thinking. Can I say I'm close? Can I say I'm remaining if I'm not regularly in his word and in prayer? Can I say I'm close if I'm disobedient? Man, I'm close to the Lord. I love the Lord. I believe he's the son of God. Now I'm going to go over here and I'm going to lie and I'm going to be sexually immoral and I'm going to be greedy and I'm going to be self-centered and I'm angry and I'm not getting over that anger right there and I'm going to do all of these. No. No, because every one of these things is the complete opposite of who Jesus is. So how can I come over here and be involved in these activities and say, but I'm close to Christ. I'm remaining in him. You can't do it. Can I be close to Christ and not know what he thinks? Not care what he knows, not know what he knows. You say, well, how do I know what Christ knows? Right here. How do I know what he wants me to know? Right here. Prayer. Can I be close to Christ and not even know what he's interested in? What he's interested in for my life. You know, here's a way to look at that, folks. You know, we live a day, we live a week, we live a month. If you see yourself traveling through a week and you're making decisions, you're making choices, you're living and, and you see that you can go through that whole week and you're not stopping and saying, hey, Jesus, what should I do here? Hey, Jesus, what do I what do I do? You know how I'm feeling about this. You know how I feel about that person and that situation and what that's doing to me right now. What what do you think about that? What do you want in that? Hey, Jesus, why did you allow that to happen? Man, I don't want that. Well, what's happening here? If I'm not going through this week trying to figure out with him what he wants and how he wants me to think, how can I say I'm close? How can I say I'm remaining? Can we be close to the head and not the body? Can I say I'm close to Jesus but not be close to the church? That's a favorite one for me because I think that's very much a part of American Christian culture. We have the ability to say, you know what, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, but I, don't, I just don't want anything to do with the church. That happens a lot. I'll bet everybody in this room knows somebody right now in your family or friends who would make that exact statement. I don't need the church, I don't like the church. You know what, I, I understand why a lot of them say that. I understand, I know what they experience, what they've seen, what they feel sometimes when they go to church, and it's not all good. Man, this place is not perfect. We're not a perfect church. If you think we are, I promise you right now, we're not. If we haven't disappointed you, it's because you haven't been here long enough. I will get to you as soon as I can. But she says what happens in church, doesn't it? We get hurt, we get disappointed, we get let down and say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. You know what, I understand why that happens. I'm sorry why that happens. If we've done it, if I've done that, I'm sorry. But let me tell you something. While you do not have to fellowship and worship here, you do have to fellowship and worship somewhere. God has not given us a model anywhere in Scripture where I am close to Him, but I have zero or little involvement with His body. How can I be involved with the head and have nothing to do with the body? Impossible. To be close to Christ is to be close to His church. Can I be involved with Christ and not be involved in what he's involved with. You say, well, what's Jesus involved with? Well, I'll make it one simple word. The Father. Jesus is involved with the Father. He's involved with the glory of the Father. 
He's involved with revealing the Father. He's involved with bringing people to the Father. He's involved with doing the work of the Father. Folks, if I'm close to Christ, if I'm literally living inside Him, remaining in Him, and He in me, is it possible we have that relationship and I'm not involved with what the Father's doing? No. No, it's not possible. Folks, Jesus wants for you the opportunity to stand before God and not to fear that moment, but to look forward to that moment and to be ready to go and to celebrate that moment. As God looks through your life and he sees eternity being produced, fruit being produced all over the place, much fruit, more and more and more fruit as you grew throughout your Christian life. And he says how to get there, get connected to me. And remain in me. Now he also does have a little bit of a hard word to say here. Apart from me. Nothing. Now folks just think about the practical ramifications of that. Apart from Christ. If I'm not connected to him. If I'm not remaining in him. Then every step I take in that moment. In that day. In that period of my life. It counts for nothing. It will mean nothing. It will all burn in the fire. Doesn't matter who you know. Doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter what title or achievement you get to. It doesn't matter how good your kids are. How successful your life is. It doesn't matter anything about your life. Because when you go to stand before God. If you did it apart from Christ. If you did it not remaining in Him. Your life will add up to zero. Nicked. Nine. Nada. I think that covers everybody. Nothing. Zero. Do you hear that from Jesus? Jesus says, come on. Come on. That's not what I have for you. That's not what my father has for you. Get connected. Remain in me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I would ask right now that you would move into each heart and mind in this room and give us the ability to discern. Would you open our eyes and our heart to our life? Lord, we need a a little fruit inspection moment right now. God, would you give us the ability to just kind of travel through this last week? Is there more joy? Is there more patience? Is there more love? Are there more good works being produced? Are there people coming to know Christ? Is there more now than there was a a year ago or five years ago? God, would you give us the ability right now to look into our lives and see if that's happening? Lord, if it's not happening, would you give us the ability to discern why? Lord, there are people in this room right now who are not connected to you. They never have been. Regardless of what they call themselves or where they've gone to church, they've never genuinely connected their life to Jesus Christ. They've never come to that place of putting their faith and trust in you and what you did for them on the cross. Lord, whoever that individual or individuals are, would you tell them right now? In your loving grace, would you whisper in their ear, you're not connected to my son. Oh, Lord, we can't do anything right unless we know the truth. Lord, there are many others in this room. We are connected, but maybe we're struggling with remaining in you.
God, would you help us to identify where we're really struggling at remaining? I pray, God, if we need to, we repent. I pray if there's some things we need to add to our life, to bring into our life, that we would do so, that we would pray about that and make that commitment right now. Father, maybe there's some in this room who need to get connected to the body. They need that step to get connected to your church, your body. Lord, speak to everybody in here, and I pray that as they take the next step, that they're taking it in a way that it counts. They're taking a step that will mean something in eternity. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.